Father, as we turn to you this morning, your promise still stands. It would be so easy for us to be tempted to consider the mountains that seem to stand in our way. The valleys that divide us from getting to you or sensing your presence. In our text today, the giants that are brought up uh, against us and stand against what we believe to be the blessing. But Father, your promise still stands. And you bring these kinds of obstacles into our lives not to discourage us and not to uh, knock us off of uh, some uh, pleasure or comfort in this world that we deserve. You bring these obstacles and opponents into our life to prove your promise and to display your glory so that every eye will see you. And there will be no doubt that your people don't win battles simply or only with military force. We don't win battles with money. We don't win battles with power. We trust your promises. And you always, you always come through. As we come to your text, your, your word this morning, I want to pray especially for that one whose heart is absolutely shaking. The anxiety, the doubt, the concern, and the need for you to come under this morning with a beautiful, gracious, loving hand and help your servant see. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. So open our eyes this morning. For us to be faithful servants is a miraculous work of the Spirit. And we need your Spirit at work in our lives today. So help us with this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this Memorial Day weekend, we are turning to a battle scene in Scripture to learn and to grow and to help us to see the faithfulness of God in every situation. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn over to 1 Samuel 17 with me. We are going to work through the text kind of uh, throughout the, the morning. So I'm going to read parts of it and then stop and then read other parts of it and then stop. So uh, join with me this morning in 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to start reading with verses 1 through 11 in just a moment. But here's my encouragement to you. As we uh, come to these battle scenes, as we come to these uh, situations we didn't ask for, challenges to our our comfort, challenges to our, our well-being, this passage is here to show us that God is faithful in the midst of Hard obstacles. So, 1 Samuel, chapter 17, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, 
and encamped between Secho and Ezekah in Ephes Demin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. For his height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of a spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Throughout all of history and in every event, God intends to make his name known and for every eye on the face of this earth to see his power and strength. We just sang the song, your promise still stands. And God gives us promises in order to put his glory, the beauty, the heaviness of his name on display. We live in a world that takes God lightly. They think that, that his promises are, are useless and come to nothing. The world around us uh, would mock a living and strong God. But what we see in this passage is that God's promises need to be taken seriously, and he's going to, to bring obstacles, not for the purpose of hurting his people, not for the purpose of putting us in harm's way only, but for showing his people and the world that he will be faithful to deliver his people under every circumstances, and even when it seems impossible. And in this text today, Deliverance of the people of God seems impossible. And that brings us to our first point right off the bat. God is going to set his glory on display for all the nations to see, even when there's powerful enemies who forget and defy the promises of God. You see that in verses 1 through 11? All throughout this First Samuel, we are seeing this as a time of transition. It's a time of transition in the history of, of Israel. They have had judges leading them, namely the last judge, Samuel. But you'll remember others, Samson, 
etc. You remember these judges, and that time has come to an end, and the kingdom has been established. In fact, the people said, we don't want judges anymore. And by the way, when, when there were judges ruling in the land, God himself was the king over Israel. He was bringing them together. He was bringing them into this land of promise that he had promised long, long, many years, hundreds of years prior to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. There will be land for you, I promise you. And now as God is their king, he has been bringing them into the promised land. And the people say, we don't want to be under the rule of judges anymore. We don't want God to be our king anymore. We want to be, and they, they specifically lined up two requests. We want to be like all the other nations, so give us a king. And we want that king to be in place for this specific reason, to lead us into battle against our enemies. He will deliver us. At first, Samuel takes that personally and says, well, you know, what am I, chopped liver? I've been working this. I've been here as the leader. And God says to Samuel, don't take it personally, Samuel. They haven't rejected you. My people have rejected me. And so God graciously gives them a king. He gives them what they want. And we don't have time to go through the the story of uh, Saul coming into power, but suffice it to say, God made Saul an important promise when he was installed as king. And he said this, here's what I promise to you, Saul. I will deliver you from the surrounding enemies of my people. Here the promised land is beginning to expand and get established. And Saul, I'm telling you, as you keep your eyes fixed on me, I will deliver the land into your hands. And as as enemies arise, as they come to be in power, as they encroach upon the promised land, keep your eyes fixed on me. And I will continue to deliver you and give you the victory. So much does God want Saul to take this promise seriously that he gives a series of prophecies that come to be. By the way, this happens in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 14. God promised Saul, 1 Samuel 14.52, that you will save my people from the hand of the surrounding enemies. And he goes on from there and says, here's proof that you'll do this. And he, he does this prophesying. He gives these miraculous uh, uh, signs that come to be immediately. And so Saul has a promise, and they are confirmed. And now here we are in 1 Samuel 17. Sure enough, the Philistines continue to be an enemy. They continue to be pesky. They won't go away. The Philistines, note the first word, uh, 1 Samuel 17 now, and that is a word that indicates the timing. The timing of obstacles is not up to us in this life. God's going to bring obstacles into your life at just the right moment. And so you and I aren't called to figure out the timing of when obstacles will come. we're, We're called to trust the Lord when the obstacles come. Now the Philistines, the enemies, gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. And so here is the implication 
the, the land of promise which God has given Israel is now being encroached upon by surrounding nations. Well, Saul has a promise for this moment, doesn't he? The Valley of Elah is critical. And by the way, if you have your, your notes in front of you, you can see what was happening as Saul was coming down and he was coming to the Valley of Elah and as the... Uh, the Philistines were coming from the west to the east, and there's this valley. It's an important place agriculturally because what would happen is it's, it's at the bottom of a mountain, and the water would come there, and it would, it would water the area so that there would be great uh, land crops there. And, of course, that was an, agriculture, an agricultural society. So if it was agriculturally beneficial, it was also economically beneficial, and the Valley of Elah was a crucial piece of property. Well, that's where this, is, this skirmish is going to take place. The Philistines start encroaching upon land promised to the Lord, but not only do we see that they're pesky, we see their champion. Do you see that in verse 4? There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, and then we go on to get a four-verse description of how huge this enemy is. How foreboding, how scary this enemy is. Six cubits in a span would be nine and a half feet tall. Now, there's other uh, places, there's, there's another uh, read on just how tall Goliath was we get from the, from the Hebrew uh, text, or excuse me, from the Greek text, the Septuagint. None, nonetheless, he was huge. He was really, really tall. He was strong. And the purpose of describing this enemy is for us to see that he's legitimate and he's big and he's scary, as we have already, as we have uh, kind of already said. The description of how heavy his equipment is and how big he, he is and, and, and uh, the size of him, but the real description is the way that he defies the armies of the living God. See that down in verse, uh, down in verse eight. He stood each day. Now, keep in mind that the average height of a Jew at that point in history, we think, is about five foot two. They're little people. And this enemy, this, this giant has come up before them, and he stands in the valley and shouts to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw battle? Am I not a Philistine? The implication here is that, that Goliath is going to pull this Philistine uh, mode of battle where one person comes out from the Philistines, one person comes out from the, from the Jewish people, the Israelites, and we just have one man-on-man, one-on-one war. Whoever wins, it's a winner-take-all battle, fight to the death. And, and in essence, Goliath is saying, why, why are you even bothering to come out here? Because uh, I'm not gonna, we're not going to fight as, as armies, we're going to fight as individuals here. And so we see that Goliath has laid down the gauntlet. But can I tell you for a minute? In verse 10, he, he finalizes this. I defy. I know the, uh, the, the things that you believe about your God, and I'm telling you they are meaningless. I know that he has said he's strong. I know that he's made promises to you. I know that he's given you the land. Well, how can you know that for sure? Well, we go back to Rahab in Jericho. 
And she says to the spies, oh, listen, we know that this land is yours. We know you're coming for us. Uh, the the uh, legend of the power and the strength of living God of Israel, we've been waiting for you to invade. We knew this moment was coming. Saul knew that it was coming, and Goliath knew that it was coming. There's no doubt. But here he stands and says, I don't care what your God says he's going to do for you. I don't care about his promises. I stand in utter and complete defiance against everything he has told you. I will beat you with the sword. I will beat you with the spear. We will destroy you with military might. Hey, by, by the way, that's what enemies do. They disdain and defy the promises and word of God. And for a while, they seem to get away with it. They seem to flourish. They have no fear of God and they do things their own way. Now, can I put something forth to you today that this story that we are reading, this, this narrative we're reading is really not a story about David and Goliath. It's a story of the differences between David and Saul and how differently David and Saul respond to a legitimate enemy when they have the promises of God to rely on. I've already told you all about Saul. I've told you he's been installed as king. I've told you that, that uh, he has a promise from God that he is going to absolutely uh, take care of, of uh, liberating God's people when there are skirmishes and when there are surrounding enemies that come up. He has a promise from God, and look what he does in verse 11 with it, because here's where we see Saul come into the picture. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. That is, he is shaken inside to the point of paralyzed, being paralyzed. He doesn't know what, he was dismayed, beside himself. And he's greatly afraid. Note a couple of things with me in this description of the story. The king of Israel is now afraid and terrified. He refuses to trust the promise that he has from God. And in these 11 verses, as the, uh, the enemy, the obstacle is, is uh, shown forth, here's what we can see. Number one, there is no mention of God whatsoever in verses 1 through 11. Saul doesn't bring up God's faithfulness. The people of Israel don't turn to how God has been faithful. There is no mention about the promises that Saul has from God. Saul has promises, and he has seen God. By the way, this is not Saul's first rodeo. The Philistines have come up against him before, and God has delivered Saul. God has shown himself strong. God has acted in accordance with his promise. Now, we should go back to chapter 16 then, shouldn't we? If you'll just look back, hopefully it's on the same page for you, but in 1 Samuel 16, look at verse 13. Because we're seeing the difference in the way that David and Saul respond when there's a legitimate enemy in the camp. Verse 13, And Samuel took the horn of oil, and the second sentence in verse, six, uh, verse 13 of chapter 16, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. So by the time David is in the valley of Elah with Goliath, he has been anointed as the king. 
of Israel. He doesn't have the role yet, but he's been anointed and the Spirit has come on him. Look at verse 7, excuse me, look at verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul has been disobedient. God has regretted that he has ever put Saul as the first king of Israel. And Saul now, when he faces Goliath, he does not consider the promises of God uh, at all. So the application for you and me before we move on to our second, our second insight here is to ask this question. Do you focus on the enemy, the obstacle, with no reference to God and his promises in your life? Well, I'm tempted to do that all the time. A situation comes up, and my first instinct is, how am I going to overcome this obstacle with my own strength, with my own cunning? That is not a very high hill. Let me just tell you, my own cunning is a very low hill. How am I going to overcome with my own financial resources, with my, with my own angst? And what happens is I turn to my angst and I turn inward. And that's exactly what Saul did in this situation. Do you do that? There is no mention of God and there is no mention of promise in here. We started out this morning in, in my prayer and, I, and I, uh, uh, in the song we sang leading into the, the message this morning, your promise still stands. There are thousands of promises in the scripture. And this whole text, 1 Samuel 17, is written so that you and I will be reminded that when the obstacles come and are strong, we should turn to God and we should turn to his promises. His promises are real. And Saul could have turned to the promises, but he didn't. Here, there's a large, threatening enemy. And rather than turn to God, rather than turn to God's promises, Saul is urgent he is panicky. He looks to his own strength. By the way, uh, do you see the, what Goliath said there? Send out a man. Can, can we just all admit today that the man who should have gone out to battle is Saul? He should have been volunteering. Remember, he was put in place because he was head and shoulders above everyone and he was strong. Remember, he was put in place when the people said, we need a man, we need a king to lead us out into battle. And look what Saul was doing, showing himself unfaithful when the obstacle comes by panicking and by being paralyzed. He did nothing in response. In fact, for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath comes out all the time and says, you got a man yet? Somebody going to come and respond to me? There is no faithful leader at the helm of Israel at this moment. Is there someone faithful in, at the helm of your life? As you look to the promises of Jesus Christ, as you rely on God, as you remind yourself all the time, no matter how great the obstacle is, God is faithful. And we turn to our second insight, and we understand here that God sets his glory on display for all the earth to see when faithful servants remember and trust God's promises. Faithful servants remember and trust God's promises. In verse 12, we've got our second now. Verse 1, now it's time for a skirmish. 
verse 2, now it's time for David to show up on the scene. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. And we are, we are introduced to David as if we have never met him before. It's really interesting, actually, why that would be, because in chapter 16, we've met him. But we're introduced as if we've never met him before. David's the youngest. David went back and forth from Saul to, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And again, David hasn't heard anything or seen anything yet when it comes to Goliath. Verse 17, and Jesse said to his son, uh, take this, take for your brothers an, an ephah of uh, this parched grain and 10 loaves. So in verse 17, he says, take the bread. And I don't know that David was from Wisconsin, but he was a good Wisconsin lad. Because if you'll note there in verse 18, his dad said, and take these 10 cheeses as a gift to the commanders at the battlefront. I mean, what would really encourage the heart of a commander at the battlefront more than a big pile of cheese, right? So, all right, that's what he's going to do. So David brings the cheese and he goes on an errand. But here's the point of these verses. In all of life, David is under authority. Guys, we live in the United States of America, and I think sometimes we glorify independence and we glorify autonomy as if it's the greatest gift from God. But do you know what? It's not. In all of this, this king, he has been, he has been literally uh, christened as king of Israel. And here's what it says. He submits to his father. He submits to the current king. And he submits to the Lord. And he brings his heart of submission. And can I tell you, you will see the hand of God work in your life when you learn to submit to the authority that God has over you. I learn, I will learn the greatness of the glory of God when I submit to what God has called me to submit to. If you have family dysfunction and weirdness in your life, David had it first. So in chapter 16, again, we don't have time to go through the whole story, but I could tell you this, Eliab, his oldest brother, is passed over. You remember the very famous 1 Samuel 16, 7, where God says to Samuel, do not look at the height, at how tall and strong and impressive Eliab is. Eliab, the brother, the oldest brother, is the one that that famous verse is about. Don't look at how physically strong he is and think, this must be the next king of Israel. No, no, don't do that. Because the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees David's small stature and right heart. And sometimes we look at the stature of people and assume things about them. But here we have David who was raised in this dysfunctional home. His dad didn't think about him until it was like the last one to bring before Samuel. He was overlooked by his brothers. And Eliab, here he is, at the battlefront, and he's mocking David. Oh, David, what are you doing here? You brought the bread. You're on the errand. You already got the little, little uh, delivery sign over your, your horse. Okay, Pizza Hut, bring in the food. 
What, what are you doing here? You, you barely have any sheep to watch. We're here doing something important, what men do. You're doing nothing. It's amazing to see how Eliab was, was impacted by being rejected by Samuel. And if you have a family situation where your brothers or your sisters or your spouse is just not in the right place or in some ways is, is running from the hand of the Lord and makes you pay for it all the time. Well, David is under authority to his father and says, look, I my family functions, my family dysfunctions weird, but I'm going to do what my dad called me to do. Even as a young adult, he's coming and bringing the bread and the cheese. And David rose early in the morning and he runs out to the battle line when he hears what's going on there. And now we're at verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words before, and David heard him. Um, there are two or three like favorite lines of mine in this entire story. And uh, if you have a pen uh, in verse 23, I would encourage you to underline, and David heard Here's why. If I were writing 1 Samuel 17, I would have written, and David saw him. I mean, huge, muscular, impossible, foreboding, armored, gonna kick your neck, right? You're gonna, he's gonna win this battle. He is so large. This does not say David saw him. It says David, small, inexperienced, young, unarmored, unweaponized. David heard him. Now all the men of Israel, verse 24, they saw him. You see that? When they saw the man, they fled. David takes no physical accounting of the size of the obstacle. And I just want to bring that to you for your consideration today. No matter how large, no matter how great, no matter how impossible the obstacle that you and I are facing, the opponent that you and I seem to be facing today, it, don't spend much time uh, uh, accounting for how huge this obstacle is for you. David spent zero time on that. It wasn't about how big Goliath was. For David, it is about how great God is. God has given him promises. God has shown himself faithful. And David takes no accounting of the size of Goliath. And we should take no accounting of the size of, of the issues before us in terms of it scaring us or uh, obsessing in our hearts. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Surely he has come up to defy, to hear and know exactly what the God of Israel says and work and walk against that in everything he does. The king will enrich the man who kills him. Now note this, not only is, Goliath, is uh, Saul, the king, not only is he absent without leave from his post, but in verse 25, he is going to pay people in his, in his service if they can defeat, defeat Goliath for him. 
What, what a sad man. What a, what a mighty fall it's been for Saul to not only not trust the promises of God, but to go to this point where he's willing to say, I'll pay you if you can take this enemy out of the way. I'm not going to do it. I won't trust the Lord. But if you can do it, I will turn to money and I will turn to authority and I will turn to position and I will guarantee it for those people if you can take him away for me. Look at verse 26. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done? Now look, he starts to talk about this Philistine. He doesn't use his name. I think that's powerful. This Philistine, uh, he's a reproach. He, he is a, a, a needless little hanger-on. He's nothing for us. He is a minor problem that God is going to take away. What is going to be done for, for the one who takes this uncircumcised Philistine? Now look what he says. Who does he think he is? He doesn't say his name. Who does he think he is that he should defy the armies of the living God? Oh man, that phrase, the armies of the living God, is so strong. We saw it in Joshua chapter 3. In Joshua chapter 3, Joshua is saying, okay, here we go. We are now the armies of the living God. As Remember what Joshua was doing at that point? He was coming into and finally, after 40 years in the wilderness, he was finally taking the land. And so the armies of the living God is meant to, to show us uh, the, the way that God has his hands on the armies of Israel when he's on the move. When he is on the move. Note another time when we see the phrase living God. And it's in the Newer Testament in Matthew chapter 16. By the way, uh, you will do well if you note all of the ways. We're going to do a little review at the end. All the ways in which David is a... Uh, uh, an echo of, a preparation for, a signpost, a billboard pointing to Jesus Christ. But in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus is saying to Peter, you remember this, right? Hey, um, who's everybody saying that I am? Well, they, they're saying you're this prophet, and they, they're saying that you're that prophet. And Jesus says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? And you remember his response, don't you? Thou art the, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that reference here to living God is a statement. And listen, God is on the move. And can I tell you, when there is an obstacle that appears before you, do not view it as the victor. Do not let him tell you that, that you're just a servant of Saul. Do not let him tell you that you are small. Do not believe that the, the obstacle is, is unaccounted for in God's timing. God has brought the obstacle to be in your path to test you and me for this purpose. Will we believe the promise? promises of God. Because listen, when there's an obstacle that comes in your way, in God's way that is, as he is moving and as you are under submission to him, when there's an obstacle that comes, here's what we can say for sure. God is on the move. God's on the move. Coronavirus, 2020. This is not 
some horrific unseen mountain that we need to somehow get political leaders to unleash us from. That is not at all what this is about. Here's what it's about. God's on the move. The armies of the living God. Christ is the son of the living God. And God is on the move, making his name great and glorious all throughout this world. Verse 27, and the people answered him, well, this is what's going to happen. Verse 28, we see the uh, uh, conflict with Eliab, his brother. And now we're up to verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And now finally, Saul summons David to come into his presence and says, okay, come, come on over here. Let's hear what you have to say. Now look what David says in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, we've already said it, but I can't emphasize it enough. When we are going to see God's hand the strongest is when we are going to submit to the earthly authority over us and to the general authority over us. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. Still there is no mention from David of Goliath's name. Verse 33. Uh, here's yet another doubter. When you and I set out to believe, to trust, to, uh, to uh, uh, put our hope in and rely on the promises of God, there will be ample opposition. And in this story, we have seen uh, the, peop- the, the army of Israel, they, not one of them has stood up to challenge Goliath. So there is this passive opposition. No one believes the promises of God. Eliab stands as an opposer. Saul tells David here in verse 33, you're not able. You can't do this to go against the Philistine. Are you kidding me? You're, you're, You're but a youth. And this man has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant... He's still under authority. This is the second time he's called himself to to Saul, your servant. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear that took a lamb from the flock, verse 35, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. What's happening here? In the, mo- in, in the midst of a great obstacle, here's what David did. And you don't have to have a, uh, a diary. You don't have to have a journal to do this. In a moment, David looked back on his life and asked himself this question. With this obstacle now before me, how in the world might we proceed together forward? And the first thing David does is look back and says, well, here's what I can tell you. God has prepared me for this moment. You say, they're watching sheep? Can I just tell you that when a moment of obstacle, of hurdle, of trouble, of barricade comes into your life, one of the first things that you and I need to do is look back and ask, how has God been faithful in my past? What has he done to practically uh, uh, prepare me for this moment? How has he been at work in my life so far? 
And David, without a, presumably, without his uh, uh, diary before him, he looks back and says, here's some one thing I can tell you for sure. The stuff that I've been through in life has prepared me for this moment to trust God. Hey, you, you got an obstacle before you today? God has said, well, now it's time for obstacle to come. Now it's time for great trial to come. Saul has a promise from God and will not trust it. And David has a past with God and refuses to not trust it. He refuses to allow for Goliath to defy the Lord unobstructed. And for the third time in verse 36, David says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this, now look at how he talks about Goliath. This uncircumcised, he's unclean. Philistine, he's an enemy, shall be like one of those lions and bears. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Now look at verse 37. It's a key verse. It's a key verse in this whole exchange. And David said, the, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. Now let's stop right there. Now we have heard about the armies of the living God twice prior to this. But here we, at this major juncture in the history of Israel, this is the first mention of the Lord by name for the purpose of identifying him in the whole text. David's having to make a case for trust God to the ones who should be trusting God. You ever have to do that? Guys, the Lord delivered, and David saw it clearly. He's delivered me in the past, and I can tell you, based on what he's done for me in the past, I know that he will deliver me in the future. Guys, God has brought you through great trouble. We sang the song again. Your promise still stands. He has never put us in a situation where we could look back and go, you know what, as it turns out, actually, uh, God's not faithful to me. God's promise hasn't been, didn't come to be. Not once will you ever, will anyone ever be able to turn and look at God and say, you made a promise that you didn't keep. Never. It will never happen. And so as you face an obstacle in your, in your life, I so strongly encourage you, look back at how God has been faithful to you. Learn what James taught us in the Newer Testament. Oh man, when you encounter all these various different kind of crazy trials in your world, you can do one of two things. You can forget how God has brought you through the past. You can forget that he has in great purposes. You can forget that he's the one who's sovereign over the now or you can let God teach you to trust him and you can decide to put this one in the category of joy. Count it all joy. When you experience coronavirus trouble, when you experience coronavirus, oh man, I'm so inconvenienced by this. When you experience a, a whole world of trouble. And maybe it's not coronavirus. Maybe it's some other issue that you're dealing with in the midst of these days. Count it all joy when you have an opportunity to trust the Lord. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion will certainly deliver me from Goliath as well. Well, Saul does what he does. 
he can think of no other way to win this battle except through military might. And so he tries to get David to put on the armor and David refuses, of course, because it's not tested. You notice what is tested? God's promises are tested. You notice what's not tested? How the king thinks we're going to get through this with armor and military might. David doesn't bother to to go down that road. He doesn't test that because he's tested the promises of God. So we're learning here that when faithful servants remember and trust God's promises, and incidentally, one of the great promises that David has to trust is that God is going to provide for them the land of Israel and that God is going to protect them from the surrounding enemies. So let me ask you this. You have an obstacle in your life. Here's the question. Which of the thousands of promises that God has made to us in his word are you relying on today? You're you're just absolutely counting on. You have to see God come through. You and I are called to have that promise and to count on it. Maybe you're lonely today and you need to turn back to the promise of God. I will never leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. In fact, I will chase you down, Psalm 23, 6. I will chase you down all the days of your life with my loving goodness and kindness. Surely just his mercy will follow me all the days. That word follow there, he's going to chase you down with mercy. It's a promise. Maybe for the anxious one, we can hurl all of our, we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Uh, let's not run over that point. Hey, listen, God cares for you. For the sinner found in transgression, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. You don't have to stay in your state of, of weakness and sin. You don't have to stay in your state of being unforgiven before God if, if you have not made that confession to him. He will hear your cry for forgiveness and he will be faithful. Verse 40. So David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the book, from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. You know, there's a lot of reasons why I think people like are like, well, here's why he, he got five stones for this reason or for that. Here's what I can tell you from the text. Probably he got five stones so he would have more than four stones uh, in case he missed, in case he hurled one and the dude juked out of the way at the wrong time. Uh, he picks up five stones, and he go, he's going against Goliath. I mean, the guy is armored. He's got, he's got swords. He's got his armor bearer there. Verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and came to David with his shield bearer in front of him. Verse 42. And now we're on to really thinking through our third insight here. That God sets his glory on display for all the earth to see by faithfully keeping his promises. He doesn't just make promises. He keeps them. 
He keeps them to you. He keeps them to me. Verse 43. The Philistines said to David, oh, what, am I, what am I, a dog? Really? You're going to come to me here with sticks and stones? Oh, this is embarrassing. But look at the more important point of verse 43. That you come to me with sticks. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. But man, Goliath has set himself up in a very dangerous place. Defying the one true God and calling out his allegiance to and hope in his own powerless gods. And you're going to see David picks up on that in just a minute. And the Philistine said and says, basically, all right, let's get this over. Let's get this over. I'm going to take you and destroy you. And uh, look what he says in verse 44. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. It's go time for David. Is it go time for you? No turning back. You are called to this moment where you are either going to seriously trust the promises of God in an actual life and death situation or you're going to turn back. We have now heard the fifth enemy of believing the promises of God. Sometimes it will be the people in your army. Sometimes it will be the people in your house. Sometimes it will be the authority over you, like Saul. Sometimes it will be the enemy himself who will stand before you and say, you got to be kidding me. You're going to trust God's promises? I'm going to destroy you here today, and you know what's going to happen is the whole world's going to see that your God's going to come to nothing. What do you do when it's go time? What do you do when you've got to go back to work tomorrow and face the same person? Tomorrow's a bad example. It's Memorial Day, but you know what I mean. You've got to go into your home tonight and face the same person again. And their taunts and their doubts and their anger and their belittling of you. In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, still having no mention of how big this Philistine is, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. You've got all these weapons of war. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. God's not going to let you get away with this Philistine. I come to you in the name of the Lord. That means in the reputation of God. The reputation, the glory, the heaviness of God is on display in this generation for you and me as we apply this to our lives right now. How we respond to great obstacles is, is uh, in play and the world around us is going to say, he's light, he's, he's nothing, he's not listening anymore. I curse you by whatever God I want to curse you by. I don't take him seriously in any way, shape, or form. And David says, oh, no, listen. The glory of God is everything. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. 
when God sets himself up as the one who will bring victory, he always brings victory. And I am telling you today, while you defied the name of my God, I am coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Verse 46, he goes on and continues with some prediction, some bold prediction. This day, now David is certain of the timing. This day, the Lord will deliver you. That word deliver you, same word David used when he was telling Saul, hey Saul, the Lord delivered me when I was a kid. When I was taking care of bears and lions, he saved me. And today, with Goliath, he's going to save me. And now it's go time, and he says to Goliath himself, he is going to deliver me. And my friend, if you are facing a great obstacle, trust the promises of God to deliver you. Do not turn to the armor that someone would give you. Do not turn to some other way. That is not to say that you and I could go out in the street today and, uh, or go into a, a battle today and just say, well, I'm here in the name of the Lord and I'm going to win this battle. That is not at all what this passage is about. David is the king of Israel. David is, is for such a time as this. You're not David and I'm not David. The principle, though, is confidence in the Lord's promises in the face of powerful opposition. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And now we come to the one phrase in all of 1 Samuel 17, which tells us what is all of this about? Is this about a kid who has enough faith? No. Is this about believing hard enough? It is not. Is this about uh, uh, somehow... Uh, you know, avoiding swords at every uh, case and, and using only some other non-worldly way to win, an, uh, uh, to win a skirmish? No, it's not about this. Here's what all of 1 Samuel 17 is about, and here's the second place I would encourage you to take out your pen and underline. Here's why David could say with confidence that he would win and that David would be defeated, or excuse me, that Goliath would be defeated. So that, verse 46, the last line, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You remember what Goliath said? I curse you by my gods. And do you see what David says? Here it is so that all the earth will know that there is one living, on the move, God. And he's not just in Israel. He's over his people to this day. Now, the all the earth reference, if you have your notes in front of you, you see where the valley of Elah is. There was one side of the mountain and it was full of people from the, the camp of the Philistines and they were watching and they could hear. It's like this monstrous, long stadium. And on one side, there is the Philistines. And then on the other side, there is the Israelites. And they can hear everything that's going on. They could hear Goliath when he was taunting them day and night for 40 days. 
and on the, uh, down in the, in the valley, everyone could see what's going on. And David announces with confidence, this day, the whole world. The people of Israel are going to see that you are faithful, God. The people of the Philistines are going to see. Do you know, for gener- I know for years after this skirmish, there are people in the land of the Philistines who are saying, but seriously, did you see that? We sent our, our great commander, our great champion out there. He, he was ready for 40 days. He was fully armored. And this kid came out with a sling and took him out with one throw. Are you serious right now? Are you kidding me? And here is what's going on when you face a battle, a skirmish, an obstacle that you did not sign up for. Will you trust the promises of God? And and do you see that in trusting the promises of God, when your life is on the line, and when your livelihood is on the line, and when your comfort is on the line, that all the earth is going to see that there is a living king who delivers those people who trust him and trust him alone. That's why you go through obstacles. To prove it to you and to prove it to everyone else that there is a God who will keep his every promise. Ravi Zacharias passed away this week. I've been thinking a lot about quotes from him and The quote that stands out, Ravi Zacharias, of course, a longtime Christian apologist who was so gentle and firm in his love and his commitment to proving that Christ is king to all who would listen. And he said this, the single greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel in our generation has not been the gospel's inability to answer, to provide answers. But the failure on our part to live it out. The single greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel has not been its inability to provide answers. But the failure on our part to live it out. And on this first Sunday that Ravi Zacharias celebrates being connected permanently and forever to his God in heaven. Church, for us, time to live it out. It's go time. It's time to understand the unique situation we are in. Now listen, we can't bring the conflict. We don't want to bring the conflict. But when the conflict comes of the sovereign nature of the Lord and comes into our life, it is no time to size up how huge the enemy could be and how likely our uh, losses will be. It is a time to say, no matter who opposes the strong hand of God, I will trust him and I will follow him. And so that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. I trust him. Verse 48, and we're just about to close up. When the Philistine arose and came near to David, David ran quickly. That's the third time we see David running. I'm a runner, and I note whenever it says run in the text. And he's running all over the point, place in this text. So go back in 1 Samuel 17 and check out all the references to running. 
David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took out the stone with one shot. He hits him, verse 50. So David prevailed. Incidentally, in all of 1 Samuel 17, there's like three verses of action. 48, 49, 50. That's it. He runs. He hits him with the stone. He cuts off his head with his own sword. It's over. It's over. Not a lot of action. There's a lot of faithfulness from God. David prevailed over the Philistine. And, and there is, even though it says that at the end of verse 50, there was no sword in the hand of David, but he took the Philistine sword. And so rather than keeping the covenant that they had made, the promise that they had made, the Philistines should have become the servants of Israel at that point. Instead, they fled. They ran for the hills. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and shout pursued the Philistines. Interestingly, in verse 54, and this is where we'll close, David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Why would he do that? I really struggle with that this week. I looked, you know, why, why do, Jerusalem's not the capital of Israel at this point. They haven't established the, the nation enough. So far, I mean, Gilgal is kind of the, the place where their, their, their capital is. And well, why do they bother with Jerusalem? And here's what I believe is happening here. David is saying, look, God has delivered me to this point, And he, I can't tell you yet that he's anointed me the king and that Saul, even though he technically is in the position of being a king, uh, one day I'll be there. I can't tell you all that, but here's what I can tell you as I put the head of Goliath in Jerusalem. This is not the last you've heard from the faithful king of kings and lord of lords. And isn't that what God does? He takes you from the bear and proves himself. He takes you from Goliath and he proves himself. And there's a future where God is going to continue to prove himself faithful to do the things that he has promised you that he's going to do. Don't let, don't let the obstacles scare you into being paralyzed. There is a future, and David puts the stake in Jerusalem and says, there is a future, in essence, when I will be king in this place. Keep your eyes. O people of Jerusalem, look at how this mighty, defiant man met his demise. Can I just close by one encouragement towards you in terms of application, and that's this. Trust the promises of God. As a church, could I... I'm going to bring one promise of God for us to consider. And that's this. God promised that he would build his church. And it seems like such a, such a strange, such a small thing. Like, how is he going to build his church? And we get in, into all of these ways in which God is going to build the church. But in Matthew chapter 16, he says, here's how I'm going to build the church. Continue to announce to the world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Continue to announce that. And my friends, as we continue to believe that Christ and Christ alone is Messiah from God, as we stand for that, God will indeed call and, and encourage and empower you and I to build his church day by day. Don't think it's small. Don't think it's unnecessary. Don't think it's, it's superfluous to life. It is life to multiply disciples for the glory of God. And we do it by this one thing. Keep identifying Jesus as the one who has won every victory 
the one who can make us right in God's setting. And so, Lord, we give you this Memorial Day weekend. We see your power and your strength in the battle. We see that you deliver us from enemies who set themselves up as your enemy. We see that your promises are true. And we see that you call your servants to this faithful place. Don't turn to other methods. Don't turn from the the, uh, mission that God has called you to. Under authority, trust the promises of God and watch God deliver you because the battle belongs to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.